0: Well, good morning to everyone who's joining us online. We're so glad you're here. Let us hear from you. Okay. I was thinking about the online, but that's okay. My name is Katie. I serve on our lift team here. And every year we start as a church with a word, a word for the year that kind of frames and gives vision for where we're going. And for 2023, our word for the year is? There it is. Come on. Practice. Practice. This comes from the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 5-7, to the Sermon on the Mount, where he says the one defining characteristic of a disciple who is wise versus a, a disciple who is foolish and whose life will fall apart when trouble comes, the one distinguishing factor is that, practicing. Putting into practice Jesus' words and not just hearing them only. So we're doing that together as a church. We started with community at the beginning in January. And now we're starting a new series with the practice of generosity. I have a friend who is just, she's just a giver. You know, her name is Pam. And she travels to give. She goes overseas. She serves in places of difficulty and people who are experiencing poverty in Africa in nations in Africa, specifically Uganda. She, she gave me a giant refrigerator. She's just one of those generous people. Sociologists Hillary Davidson and Christian Smith did this project and studied generosity. And they said the findings are strong and they are consistent, both in qualitative interviews and in quantitative research. Enjoy a well-being positive life outcomes that contrasts to those of us when we aren't generous. They're happier. They are more fulfilled. And the opposite is also true. When we're less generous, we report negative neurochemical processes like increased cortisol, stress, anxiety, and less life fulfillment. Listen to what they say here. The more generous people are in practices not necessarily one-time gifts, the more they enjoy positive life outcomes and well-being. But what is generosity? And where does it come from? And who, who are we to be generous to? How do we actually do it in our daily lives? It's to these important questions that we are going to turn. And we're going to start at the very beginning. Some people love the sound of music. (laughs) The very beginning. God is a giver. We read in Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then in John 1-1, in the beginning was the word, Jesus. And he was with God. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made. You know... Every year, 6,500 species of plants, mammals, reptiles, insects, fungi. Every year, 6,500 new species are discovered. Biologists and naturalists who are not Jesus followers, they call this the prodigality of creation. I'm sorry, the natural order. It's not called creation for them. The prodigality, the wastefulness of the natural order. And they can define it, but they can't explain it. They can't understand why is there such extravagance in the natural order. But if Jesus was at, he wasn't just at creation watching. The scripture says that through Jesus all things were made. So that means That the same power that made the world is that same power that we saw not of brute force last Sunday when we celebrated the death and resurrection of Jesus, but of outpoured generosity. It doesn't make sense if you're not a Jesus follower why there's generosity and extravagance at the center of the natural order. But when there's a person at the center of the natural order, when it's God himself, he is the prodigal father. He is the God we know in and as Jesus the Messiah. And so creation and recreation are an act of self-giving generosity. God is a giver. Generosity began in the heart of God, and you and I are most like him when we give. That's where it comes from. Generosity, I want to give kind of a working definition. People sometimes think it's finances, you know, limited to finances. But it's actually a life, I want to give a larger definition. It includes financial and economic resources, but it's much bigger. A whole life generosity is a life that's overflowing, Gratefully released to God for the benefit and well-being of others. It's a way of living, not just an act of giving. It's It's us having, it's a virtue that is developed in our character where we want to give freely and abundantly good things to others for their sake and not just for, not for ours. So that's what generosity is and we know where it comes from. So who are we supposed to give to? An expert in the Old Testament law came to Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, and he asked Jesus this question. He said, teacher, how, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus said to him, you're an expert in the law. What does the law say? How do you read it? He said, well, I need to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, and love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. If you do this, you'll live. And he wanted to justify himself, so he said, but who is my neighbor? Jesus said, a certain man was walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves. They stripped him of his clothes, they took all his money, and they beat him and left him half dead on the road. Not long later, a priest walks down the same road, and when he came to the place where the man was, He crossed over on the other side. So too a Levite, someone who serves in the temple. When he saw the place where the man was, he also crossed over on the other side. Then a Samaritan came. And when he saw the man, he came near to him. He took pity on him. He bandaged his wounds put him on his own donkey, took him down to Jericho, looked after him for for a couple of days, and then gave the innkeeper a couple of denarii and said, Will you take care of him? And if there's any extra expense, I'll give it to you when I come back. And Jesus looked at the law expert and he said, Who was a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? You could almost imagine him kind of humbly saying, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. This law expert, let's call him a lawyer, okay? He, is an, he would have known what the expectations are of the law for how to treat people in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And there, it's, it's predicated on a couple of principles. And it's mishpat and sedka. It's righteousness and justice. That's according to Psalm 89, the foundation of God's throne. And have you ever wondered why there's so many laws in the Old Testament? Like, why? Why did God reveal himself through so many laws? It's because a just society, the most basic fundamental institution of a just and free society, is a legal system. Because God isn't just concerned about an individual's soul relationship with him, salvation. He's also concerned with creating a, a society that is just and reflects and he can carry his divine presence. Jesus calls it the kingdom of God. And so these principles of righteousness and justice, this lawyer would have known. Mishpat, it means justice. It means give people what you owe them. Leviticus 25, says, have the same Mishpat, for the immigrant as you do for the native-born. It means, and it's always listed 200 times in the Old Testament. It's always listed with people who are vulnerable. Poor, widow, orphan. It could be extended today to the refugee. You know, someone who, a migrant worker perhaps. Maybe a single parent or the elderly. And every time it's used, listen, listen to what Tim Keller says. He says, God loves and calls himself a defender of those who, with the least economic and social power. And that's who we are called to be also. This lawyer would have known that. The other principle he would have known is called is righteousness, sedka, in Hebrew. <laughs> that word, we hear righteousness and we think someone who kind of lives a clean life. It's more than that. The word actually can't be translated exactly because it combines two concepts that in English are separate it's charity and justice when if I was to give you $100 yes, you would either be entitled to it or not if you are entitled to it it's justice right if you're not entitled to it I'm really generous and it's charity but they're not the same in English But in sedka, this principle, this law, in the people of Israel, they are the same. That's because there's a difference in Hebrew thinking, according to the scripture, between possession and ownership. Stay with me here. You and I, God owns everything. Everything that you and I have, we don't actually own. We simply possess it. He says in Leviticus 25, don't sell the land permanently because the land is mine. You are foreigners in it. You are stewards of it. You and I are bound by the principles of trusteeship. That means, and on those principles, we give to those who are in need. In the the kingdom of Israel, and what God is challenging us in here, is that charity is just, and that to be just is to give charitably. That's what SEDCOM means. The just person lives honestly, treats all people equitably, and gives generously. This is what the flourishing life is. It's an overflowing life, gratefully released to God for the well-being of others. You know, my kids and I sometimes go to a, a local center it's an elderly care rehabilitation center and we take you know easter jokes to them like how come you know how come the bunny got a, yeah never mind i can't remember the punny joke (laughs) but we take these jokes and we go and we just distribute candy because they love chocolate it is a serious thing, taking like Snickers and Milky Way into these places. And we have come to learn these people's names. And it's just, I walk in, you it, it is shocking. Sometimes what people face, the loneliness that they experience and the, the light that comes into their eyes when they watch my son Owen walk in with a Tootsie Roll. With a Snickers and a small joke. They're like, come and see me again. One guy, Rodney, he was a teacher in, Mo- in Montana for the blind and the deaf. He's lost one of his legs. And he had the Bible open. So, and I said, what are you reading? He said, oh, Hebrews. I said, oh, look, that's the book that says that coffee is, you know, good. And he said, what do you mean? I was like, you know, Hebrews. <laughs> and he, he laughed so hard. <laughs> And Rodney, he was like, when are you guys coming back? It's a small thing. It took us 40 minutes. But it was a light in these people's lives. You and I are called to be generous and prioritize people who are vulnerable. That is what these principles are teaching us. This lawyer would have known this. This law expert would have known. We've got to be generous to people who are vulnerable. And this carried over into the early church in Acts Chapter 4, we read that there were no needy persons among them. That's straight from Deuteronomy 15. They gave to their own and to people without. The emperor, Julian, hated Christians but said this. Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as their charity to strangers. The impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor but for ours as well. We're talking about who to give to. They provided for their own poor and for those outside. Listen to what pastor and author Gordon MacDonald says. He says, in a heartless world, the generosity of the first Christian church was such a stunning contrast that people everywhere took notice. It is fair to speculate that Christian generosity and service did more to win people to the gospel of Christ than all the preaching that was done. This expert in the law would have known, who do I give to? Who's my neighbor? A society, a community that's built on mishpat and sedka, righteousness and justice, means that we give all people what they're due. If it's honor, if it's respect, then give them respect. We, and we provide for those who are vulnerable in our society, our community. And we give to those within and those outside. So how do we actually do this? Maybe you're convinced, okay, I want to be more generous. What do I actually do? In their book, The Paradox of Generosity, they aren't necessarily Jesus followers, but in this study, they said generosity and practicing it is hard. We have to overcome mental, emotional, and even financial obstacles. That's why our working definition starts like this Whole life generosity is an overflowing life, gratefully released to God. This is the first step of generosity. We gotta release our lives to Him. Henry Nouwen is a Dutch priest, and he is, is an author. He's a professor, and he tells the story of being in South Africa. And he watches this trapeze group called the Flying Rodleys. And everyone is fascinated by the the acrobatics of the first artist. And they miss the reality that the only reason this is possible is because this person knows that he or she is going to be caught. The star of the show is the least visible, the catcher. And he says this, if we are to take risks to be free in the air and in life, we have to know there is a catcher. We have to know that when we come down from it all, we will be caught. We're going to be safe. The great hero is the least visible. we got to trust the catcher. What about you? What about your faith? Faith in Jesus isn't just ascribing to some beliefs. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. It's this anchored reality that no matter what happens, I'm going to be caught. I'm going to be safe. The world did its worst to Jesus, and the Father caught him. So if we can trust and release our lives in confidence to God, this is how we give. Let's talk about some practical things about our daily lives generosity in our daily activities you know when you call American Airlines (laughs) and congratulations if you reach a human being but sometimes you reach someone and they're a little bit irritable you know or you're trying to pay a bill and someone's a little bit hey I'd like to talk to your manager I'm the customer here what if we were generous hey I bet it's actually really challenging talking to people like me all day long Thanks for your help. Generous. What about in the supermarket? What about the shopping cart? Can we just talk about the shopping cart for a minute? So we get done with our groceries, and we take the shopping cart, but it's about six car spaces away to put it back to where it goes. And then there's a little curb here, so we kind of push it over here, and we sort of make sure that no one's looking. And we just put it on the side. we give everyone what we owe them? If it's respect, respect. If it's honor, then honor. And the scripture says in the message translation that if the cart goes in where the place where the cart goes, we put the cart there too. (laughs) Can Mill City Church be people who always put the cart back? (gasps) (sighs) Because nobody needs a dent in their car from a cart that's rolling rogue because we couldn't put it back. What about when someone holds up this sign? this moment we're walking down the street we're in our car maybe we keep the window up we don't make eye contact or we go in the other lane so we're not as close what if we gave the person dignity and we rolled down the window and said hey what's your name where are you from what if we had some snack bars in our center console and we were just ready to give or some gift cards from Chick-fil-A just to provide a meal Well, hang on. What if they do something dishonest with what I give them? What happens to our gift once given is between the receiver and God. It is ours to give, and our expectations and conditions stop there. If there is a return, appreciation, or some remarkable result, so be it. We are permitted to delight in such a moment, but this is not why we give. We give because God gave. We give as God gave. And we give as generously as God gave. And this requires great maturity and obedience on our part. What about generosity in our finances? The tithe was a principle in the, in the scriptures. And it was the first 10% of the offering you know, of their income. And it was brought in to those who facilitated worship for Israel. And it wasn't just that 10%. 10 more percent every three years was to be set aside to give to people or initiatives that supported the poor. You and I are no less blessed than Old Testament believers. The tithe, you know, Jesus reemphasizes it in Matthew twenty three twenty three. The tithe is meant to be a baseline. It's meant to be a foundation, and we give on top of that. As a goal. I know someone who pastors in Uganda His name is Samson Kamboko, and he grew up as an orphan, a hard story in poverty in Uganda. And then he actually got a sponsorship through Compassion. Changed his life. His sponsor's name is Pam. They just completed a building initiative, and people would bring their bricks he, he pastors this church. It's incredible. People would bring a brick each week if they didn't have money so that they could contribute. And I said, "Samson, what's it like to ask people to be generous in a society where people are, are poor? So many of your people don't have a lot. He said, he smiled. And he said, generosity is a principle. It doesn't matter where you live in the world or what you have. Everyone has something to give. Everyone must give. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. We've just begun a building initiative. You know, as a church, we give, we give to Homeward Alliance. It's an organization in our city that prevents people from going into homelessness. We give to Lincoln Middle School and have for over a decade helping families who are destitute. And we don't just give them immediate relief. We've actually helped people go into self-sustaining lives. Because that's what generosity does. That's why it's so important that each one of us considers our giving in this initiative that Aaron was sharing about. Because our church, we actually need a physical and a spiritual stake in this region. You know why? Because because the church, our church needs to go on past my life. The generosity of Jesus needs to shine in our region, not just in my generation, but in the next one. We gotta be generous in our finances. What about generous in who we embrace? This story, Jesus is saying to this law expert, you know, he wasn't just saying to him, you need to be nice to people and be generous. That's true. But there was something deeper going on. Samaritans were syncretists. They mixed the faith of Yahweh with idols. We can do the same thing today. But they were looked down upon in that time. Jews looked down on them. They were despised. They were rejected. They were unclean. And so by making the Samaritan the hero of the story, Jesus wasn't just getting at his stinginess, lack of generosity. He was getting at his racism. And I wonder, who would Jesus have made the hero of the story if you had asked him? Who is hard for you to embrace except Maybe it's someone who has a different view on gun control or gun ownership. Could be somebody who has a varying view on gender identity. What if it's a, a coworker? It could be someone who plants a political sign in their yard, or maybe someone whose skin is a different color. Who do you look down on? Mirsaw Wolf, in his book, Faith for Public Good, says this, when it comes to life in the world, to follow Christ means to care for others as well as oneself and to work toward their flourishing so that life would go well for all and so that all would learn how to lead their lives well. All means all. That means, what if I made cinnamon rolls for that neighbor? What if I... Started to pray for them every day. What if I invited that person, that family member for dinner? And even though I know it's gonna be painful, and they're gonna say things that really rub me the wrong way. I, I'm just gonna be generous. I work towards their flourishing. I'm gonna make an effort to work towards their flourishing. We've got to practice embracing. What about generosity in giving thanks? I've set this reminder in my phone each day because I actually need a reminder to give thanks. You guys are really holy and you give thanks without being reminded. But I actually need to remind myself to be thankful. It's wild. But gratitude doesn't come naturally to us. We've got to practice it. Gratefully release to God. I tell you what, in those moments when I pause and I thank God... For my children, and it's chaotic. Or for my husband, and it's also chaotic. I, it's like the Holy Spirit. He hovers like he did at creation over my chaos, and he brings order. Giving thanks. Faith receives God's gifts as gifts, but it's gratitude that receives them well. Would you stand with me? What's your life path at the moment? Where are you? I don't know what road you're on. Maybe there's pain physically or emotionally. Maybe there's relational friction, trouble with your business, battling mental health and anxiety as we prayed before. Would you close your eyes and imagine that someone is walking on that same road. And when he sees you, he doesn't cross by on the other side. He is the greatest Samaritan. He sees to your wounds, and by his wounds, he has healed you. He doesn't just risk his life to come after you. He gave his life to come after you. And someone that good, someone that wonderful, someone that loving and generous is worth giving our worship and giving our gratitude and giving our lives to. And so, wherever you are, would you say yes to Jesus this morning? Maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time or the first time this morning. Say yes to the generosity of God again. We're going to sing in a moment gratitude, the song. We're going to worship. And if you'd be willing, would you just lift your hands? Could we, an overflowing life, God, give us an over, make us people with overflowing lives, gratefully released to you for the benefit of others. Could we worship now for a moment and offer God our highest praise, our greatest gratitude? And if you've just said yes to Jesus, can you start with thanks? (laughs) Let's worship together.
1: sing these songs as I often do every song must end and you never do so I throw up my hands and praise you again and again cause all that I have Fit for a king, except for a heart singing Hallelujah, Hallelujah. I've got one response. I've got just one. With my arms stretched wide, I will worship you, so I throw up my hands, I praise Child, me lift up your soul because you got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, come on, come on. My soul, oh, don't you get on me lift up your soul because you got a lion inside. One more time, we'll So I throw up my hands, I praise you again and again. Cause all that I have. for